0: So we are going into a brand new series called ReVision 2020, Um, and I think about 2020. You know, at the beginning of the year, a lot of pastors were doing um, 2020 vision just because it was just too easy. I mean, it's like you have to do a series called you know 2020 vision when the year is 2020. But I think how little could we actually see into this year? I mean, this is like the year. I saw this meme that came up. It said, "I feel like." And go ahead and put that picture up of the Oompa Loompas. I feel like at the end of every month in 2020, an Oompa Loompa should come out and sing a song to us about the lesson we should have learned over the past 30 days but we didn't right like this is the year of the crazy i mean i look back at pictures in my phone of you know december melody and january melody and i'm so hopeful and i have all these new year's resolutions like oh poor girl (sighs) little did you know you know like all the chaos that's coming um the toilet paper shortage the coin shortage apparently you know i heard someone say that hindsight is 2020 was really someone from the future that traveled back saw 2020 and said hindsight's 2020 I heard someone else say, like, with the time machines, they've warned everyone with a time machine, the future, whatever you do, don't set the time clock to 2020. Don't go back on that year. And so we started out this year casting vision, really praying like we do every single year for God. What is your vision for our church, us as individuals for the year to come? And vision is something we talk a lot about, not just at the beginning of the year, but in our Connect class, our sort of getting to know you class, Um, how many of you have gone through that class that are sitting in this room? So a good portion of you have been here. We talk about vision out the gate, we talk about vision and why. It's because Habakkuk tells us it's extremely important to know where you're headed. Habakkuk 2.2 says, the Lord answered to me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run with it who reads it. I heard a pastor say this, vision leaks. Just when you think you've cast vision enough, cast it again and again and again, because vision leaks. We have this tendency to veer to one side or to the other. And so scripture is clear to cast the vision so people can run with it, write it down, and make it plane. And so we teach this at every Connect class when you join the church. We talk about our core values. And something that we say is that every single ministry at our church, um, everything that we do, every class, every group, every sermon is going to tie back to this vision and to our core values because this is our spiritual DNA. This is who we are. And so our, the vision of I Heart Church has been to reflect God's love. We want to be a city on a hill. And has there ever been a more important time for the love of God to shine brightly than in 2020. Now more than ever, we need to be vessels of God's love. And so we wanted to take a step back a minute and mid-year have a revision to go over the vision again and what that looks like in this current season. You know, in our Connect class, we talk about how if our vision is our destination, then our code, which is just a cute word for our core values, they're the compass we use to get there. And so it's one thing to have a vision to know where you're going, but you need a map and a compass to assure that you get there. And so our core values, our four core values, we tie, these are the things, these are DNA, the spiritual fabric and network of this church. And every ministry that we do funnels through these core values. They are how we swing back and keep alignment. Are we on task? Are we on target for where God has us? And so I think it's important not just to do a self-evaluation or a church evaluation at the beginning of the year come on somebody but we need to frequently ask ourselves am I on target am I on task globally is the church doing what God has called the church to do and really that's a very broad question that can only be properly answered when you ask is this Christian doing what I'm called to do and so really revival globally is only as effective as revival personally. Staying on target personally is important. We have to have the vision cast again because vision leaks. You know, your core values and our core values, they don't change just because our season does. Have you ever had someone whose personality was sort of fluid? like water, like they, you know, water will take on whatever vessel you pour it in. Have you ever been around someone that they change, their whole personality changes when they get around certain people, they morph it to whomever they are around. But when you have integrity, Your core values are a part of you, they're of who you are, and they don't change just because the outward circumstances have changed. And so what we want to talk about, we want to revisit how do our core values as a church fit into this current chaotic season? How does COVID, corona, pandemic, chaos, 2020, how, does it, how do we interpret our core values and what are we supposed to be doing in light of this season? How do our core values translate into this current season? So the next few weeks, we're going to talk about these core values and how we should be keeping those in mind as we navigate through the craziness that is 2020. And today we're going to talk about the one that I always have been teed up with, And that's having a hunger for God's word and his presence. Anybody sat through Connect class and you remember this one, right? This hungering for God's word and his presence. And if you have been through that Connect class, you know that we say this is the most critical. If you get no other core value, this just shouldn't be a core value of our church. This should be a core value of every single person who bears the name of Christ. To have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. A hunger for God's word and his presence. We're talking about... A spiritual appetite here. You know, I think it's funny that, not funny, but that um, one of the side effects or the symptoms of COVID is a loss of smell and taste. Have you heard this? Actually, I actually had a friend who had Corona. She was one of the earliest cases back in March in Tennessee. And um, and she still has not recovered her sense of taste. She can't taste anything. As a matter of fact, there's this big thing going around about Corona weight loss, like that people will lose like 20 and 30 pounds because they can't taste anything. So they don't want to eat. And so um, last week at our house, I was getting um, things ready and I was making breakfast. And so I have a nine-year-old son and he's sitting at the table, and I had poured him some juice. And he's sitting there, and I'm just, you know, cooking or whatever. And he says, this juice just tastes like water. I can't taste anything. And I'm like, what did you say? This juice, it just tastes like water. Oh, my gosh, it's happening. Stop everything. It's happening. So I call our and I'm like, hey, um, Like he's saying he can't taste anything. He's like, why don't we just go ahead and have him checked? So we actually shut the office down for a couple days, had him checked. He was fine. He was eating pizza and ice cream. I think he just loves to be an alarmist. You know, he was like scaring me to death, but he was fine. But it's a symptom of COVID, is a loss of taste. And you know, when I was praying the other day, I really felt like I got up that morning and I felt like the Lord spoke to me. That a side effect and a symptom of what's been happening in Corona is there's a widespread loss of spiritual appetite. Across the globe, we have lost our spiritual appetite, and we have to fight to get that back. Listen to this admonition in Proverbs chapter four. This is such a strong admonition, and I'm gonna come out the gate with this verse, and I want you to ask the Lord, God, what are you speaking to me? Can you say to me? Because isn't it human nature that when you listen to a message that you amen really loud, when the preacher is talking about your neighbor's needs, right? Right? It's easy to amen when it's not your toes that are getting stepped on. And it's human nature to think, oh, so-and-so needs to hear this message. I'm going to forward this message. Hey, are you watching? You should really register for the next service. Hey, make sure you check this out. We want to fix everyone else. But listen, the only ones we're really in control of the heart of is ourselves. And so we have to come to this with God search my heart. And listen to this in Proverbs 4. Above all else, guard your heart. Do you hear me? Not your husband's heart, not your neighbor's heart, not the hearts of all those on Facebook. That's a useless battle, right? Above all else, guard your heart for everything. Wow. Everything you do. Now notice how many use, and you know, I'm talking to myself here, but I want you to, to internalize this. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and steadfast. be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Do you see... That here, God is not telling you to worry about the speck in your brother's eye. He is saying, your responsibility is your heart. And do you want to know the beautiful thing about that? That I can't change the chaos in the world, but I sure can do something about my own heart. And so the frustration and the angst and the turmoil of looking at our world and thinking, God, what is happening can easily resolved by the peace of God when I realize it's God's job to fix them I've got to worry about me I've got to take personal responsibility for my heart to guard it and protect it to guard my mouth guard my feet this is the most important thing that we do we have to guard our hearts period this is our vision to guard our hearts and how do we do that we do that with the word of God and the presence of God. The word of God and the presence of God. So I'm just gonna give you two things of how, just two, of how do we hunger for God's word and his presence and make sure we keep our spiritual appetites up in this crazy season. And the first one, this is not rocket science, but we need the reminder, spend time in his word and his presence. Can you say this word with me, daily? Come on and say it again, daily. Joshua 1.8. Study this book of instruction sometimes. Study this book of instruction when you need a scriptural rebuttal to that person on Facebook. Is that what this says? Study this book of instruction when there's chaos going on. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. Say that word meditate. That word in the Hebrew actually has a lot of connotations to chewing. You know when something tastes really good, so you just wanna like take your time and eat it slowly? You're just chewing on it, you're chewing on it. You know, there's I heard that a cow has like seven stomachs, and so a cow will chew the cud, will digest it, and then it'll regurgitate it back up and chew it again, and then do that like seven times. This is the image of meditating, over and over and over, meditating and chewing on the scripture, getting every little morsel, every little taste firing off in your mouth. You want to savor the word of God meditating on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then, do you hear me? Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Listen, you want to know the key to life? Bam. You don't have to go to some weirdo on a mountaintop. What's the key to life? Bam. Meditate on the word of God day and night. Only then. Only then will you succeed and be prosperous in everything you do. Listen, this is echoed in this famous Psalm, Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he doth meditate, there's that word again, day and night, and he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. In other words, if you keep this as your vision, If this is a part of who you are and you're meditating on the Word of God, it's your constant, your roots grow down deep into the Word of God, it doesn't matter what's happening out there because something happening in here is greater than what's happening out there. This is our constant that we meditate, that we glean from the Word of God. So let me ask you though, what are you meditating on day and night? I'll just ask yourself that question. Come on, not your neighbor, don't elbow your wife or your child, okay? You, me, what do I meditate on? Think about what you're thinking about. 180,000 thoughts that'll go through your head in one day. What are the majority of those thoughts? Because how you think, the direction, the roadmap of your, your thoughts is where your feet are gonna go eventually. What are you thinking about? What are you meditating on day and night? Now more than ever, we can't afford to be more informed by the world than we are the Word. And it's evident, honestly, that the church has not been meditating on the Word of God day and night. That we've been feasting on something else. So what are we feasting on? Is it intel? Is it information? Is it news? It doesn't necessarily have to even be bad things unless it supplants God's word in our heart we're trying to guard our heart above all else and don't think that the enemy won't be crafty in how he tries to get our attention distracted don't think that he doesn't make his appetizer look more appealing advertising everywhere you ever tried to be on a diet like not eat at night like not eating at night is the worst for me like it's the time i'm most vulnerable i could do good all day long but if you have white cheddar cheese puffs in my house at nine o'clock at night i am going to eat half the bag it's just going to happen so i don't keep them there you ever watch the tv been watching tv and a commercial comes on and you're doing great and then you see this commercial like great now i'm thinking about bacon cheeseburgers Never crossed your mind before until you see it and isn't this the way the enemy markets his ways? He markets, he is vying for your attention, he wants you to feast on his delicacies. In Proverbs 15:14 it says a wise person is hungry for knowledge. Listen to this. While the fool feeds on trash. The fool feeds on trash. My son's birthday was this weekend we were over at a friend's house and I really don't keep like soft drinks in my house. Like I don't let the kids drink a lot of soft drinks and I don't keep, he's, he loves Pop-Tarts, okay, like sugary series. I don't keep any of them in my house mainly because he would just eat it all. Like in one day, it'd be gone. And so, um, and so they have to eat like relatively healthy. So we're at their house and, um, and he opened the refrigerator and there was a Coke in the refrigerator. And he said, mom, can I have this? And I was about to say no. And then I remembered it was his birthday. And I was like, I guess so. And he goes, ah! was so happy. I'm like, this poor kid, all he wanted was a Coke. Um, but you know, the reason I do this is because he doesn't have a ton of self-control. And so, um, you know, we'll be at, he'll be complaining how hungry, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. So we'll sit down to eat and we have green beans and chicken. And he's like, you know, mom, it's just a mystery. I'm like, what's a mystery? "I, I just, I don't know why, but I'm so full. I'm so full. It's just a mystery. I'm like, um, the four fruit bar wrappers over there have solved the mystery. You have fed yourself in a bunch of snack foods, and that's why. It's no mystery why you have no spiritual appetite. Listen to me. If we're not hungering for the things of God anymore, we have no desire to read his word. We have no desire for worship we have no desire to even come to church anymore. It's not. It's we've just kind of gotten out of the habit. Listen, it's not a mystery if we're filling ourselves with so much other stuff. We've left no room for the things of the Holy Spirit. In Proverbs fifteen two, it says this: "The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, <laughs> but the mouth of the fool belches out." foolishness. This verse cracks me up. Now, my kids know that one of my biggest pet peeves is burping, okay? Like, I don't like it. I think it's, like, the most crass thing someone can do. I hate when someone burps. Like, I'm like, I don't want to smell what you had a few hours ago to eat. Would you please stop that? And so they get that, like, I'm gonna pull your tongue out your head look from mom. If I hear them, like, forcing a burp, I, like, shoot them that look, and they all get scared. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, mom. I hate belching. It's just disgusting. I don't want to smell and know what you ate, right? And this verse, though, the reason I think I hate belching so much is, this should be private, but it says that the fool belches out foolishness. This indicates that whatever you've been feasting on, it's coming up. It's coming up, and everybody around can tell what you've been eating on and chewing on day and night. When you're squeezed, when you're pressed, and I don't know about you, when I look at social media, there's a whole lot of burping going on. A whole lot of foolishness going on, and it's becoming evident. I don't even think people see it. They can't smell it anymore, but it's evident what they've been eating, what they've been taking in, what they've been chewing on, and whether it aligns to the Word of God or not. Guys, you shouldn't burp, but if you do, may you burp up the things of God. That's a tweetable moment. May it be the things of God. If we're going to regurgitate something, may it be the things of God. Maybe love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control. And not this nonsense. We should look different. We should smell different. We should sound different. We shouldn't be burping up the rhetoric of the world instead of the wisdom of the Father. Guys, we can't make it through this storm without keeping our homes and our hearts built on the rock of God's Word. We're not going to make it. We will not survive. This house, this church, your house, your temple will come down with the storm that is brewing. Do you hear me? You, whatever things can be shaken, are being shaken and will collapse. Only that which is built on the rock of God's word. Jesus said, A wise man built his house on the rock, and the storms came, the flood waters raged, but because it was built on the rock, it stood. But those who build their lives, their churches, their businesses, their organizations, their families, on the shifting sand of the world's rhetoric will collapse. Listen, kingdoms have been rising and falling for generations, the word of God is the only constant. It's the only thing that's going to endure. We have to build our lives upon it. So we look at this, how how do we stay in the word of God? Remember, I tell you at Connect class, we have to have both his word and his presence. It's like the bread and the wine of communion, the bread and the wine of communion. Remember when I would tell you before that these elements of communion, if, if the bread is symbolic of the word and the wine is symbolic of communion, this is symbolic of my, my fellowship with God, my prayer and my worship. It makes it, it takes it not just from a study, but from a relationship, this communion with God that we need both the bread and the wine. You know why? Because when I've just start studying scriptures, I tend to get judgy. Anybody get judgy when you just do like a lot of scripture study, but you're not really like putting your heart into it and praying about it and doing an internal evaluation? You're just studying it to really refute somebody? Don't look at me, pious. You know you've done it, okay? This is a, this is a problem in the church. When I am only studying, I tend to get judgy. Now, why? Because 1 Corinthians 8 says this, while knowledge makes us feel important, it's love that strengthens the church knowledge makes us feel important and what happened to the pharisees the pharisees got very dry and judgy just like if you were just to eat a bunch of bread but you don't actually ever drink anything your mouth would get super dry and this is what happens when i just am studying scripture for the knowledge of it studying scripture for the debate of it but not actually spending time with the one who wrote the scriptures I get dry and I get judgy. I become the older brother of the prodigal son. That I'm, oh, I'm still distant from the father. I'm just on the porch and not out in the pig pen. I'm still not in his house. I'm on the porch, not in the pig pen. And I can easily, amen, and call out his sin while ignoring the glaring judgmentalism in my own heart. Because I get judgy. I'm not any closer to the father than he is. As a matter of fact, I'm in danger of being further away from the father than he is. Because at least he can recognize his own sin. And he comes back with humility. I get judgy when I just study the scriptures alone. In 2 Corinthians seven fourteen, listen to this. If my people who are called by my name. Can I just remind you that if America is coming down, listen to me not saying i want that i'm a patriot but if america is coming down christ predicted it in these words a nation divided against itself cannot stand it's division that will be the collapse of america mark my words how is division solved it can only be solved through the love of christ not through political means It has to be each of us, like in a marriage, when there is a collision in a marriage, when a couple comes in and they're only pointing the finger at the other one, there's no personal responsibility, no listening, no humbling of themselves, no searching and rending of their own heart. There's no reconciliation. It's only when each individual says, I can't change them, I can work on me. Search my heart, God. Listen to what this says. If my people who are called by my name, not the older brother, not the lost, healing for our land will not come from the lost getting saved. Judgment has to start in the house of God. If my people who are called by my name, listen, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin sin, and I will heal their land. The condition for national healing is personal repentance. Personal repentance. It has to start with me. I have to take ownership, God. Search my heart. In Luke six forty two, 42, it says this. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out of your eye. We're talking about vision. Let me take that speck out of your eye. When you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly enough to help your brother. I can't help the lost. See, Jesus, if I can't even see him through my own self-righteousness, I gotta look at me. I've gotta give measures and buckets of grace that guess what, lost people are going to act lost. Lost. It's in their nature. They can't act not lost because they're lost. And guess what? Sometimes our brothers and sisters in Christ are going to go through things. And they're going to act cray-cray. And guess what? You've acted cray-cray too. You've gone through things. You've gone through a season before. Give people grace in their struggle and worry about what you can control. And that's your own heart. Spending time in his presence. God search my heart. So when I'm just eating bread, I'm just studying, I'll get dry and judgy. But when I'm only praying, I tend to get weird I'm just being on, just, maybe just me. You think about the wine of God's presence and what happens when someone's not been eating and all they've been doing is drinking wine is they get pretty weird, right? And you're like, go eat something, honey, right? And so the word of God is our constant that keeps us grounded, Because sometimes if all we're doing is praying and listening to prophetic words and listening to other pastors and listening to, to what and having dreams and visions and I'm not knocking any of those things. But if that's all we're doing and we're not truly making sure that we're holding up the word of God, that, you know, God speaks like he writes. God's knocking, I've had someone tell me, the Lord told me that I married the wrong man and that this man is my husband and not this one, so I'm going to divorce him and marry this guy. Honey, God doesn't, he's not schizophrenic. He speaks like he writes. And anytime a prophecy, a dream, I don't care if an angel shows up in the flesh and tells you something, if it goes contrary to the word of God, it's a demonic angel, it ain't Jesus. The word of God is what keeps us grounded. It's what keeps us knowing what's right and wrong. You know, we can make God sound a lot like us when we want to. We can create an image of God that's really fashioned instead of us being created in his image, we fashion a God that looks like us and sounds like us and repeats our own ideas. The Bible ain't cute, it cuts. And sometimes eating the word of God is like when the angel gave Ezekiel the scroll, and he ate it, and it said it turned sour in his stomach. The Bible cuts. Sometimes we're like the children of Israel with manna. Oh, God, more manna. We don't want any more manna, anything but manna. Why? Because sometimes we just don't want to eat the Word of God. We'd rather have this delicacy over here. We'd rather have the gossip. We'd rather have the self-righteousness. We'd rather have the slander than have the Word of God and examine our own soul. Why? Because it cuts. It's a double-edged sword. It's a rock. It's not comfortable. We don't want to sleep on it. But we have to have the word of God, let it cut our own souls. We have to truly listen to what is God's word saying to me, not to my neighbor, I can't fix my neighbor. But I can let the word of God examine my own heart. In Ephesians 4, 14 it says this, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us. Listen to this, with lies so clever, they sound like the truth. Lies so clever by the enemy, they sound like truth. Now, as I'm saying that, do not think, oh, someone needs to hear this. You need to ask yourself, am I believing a lie so clever it sounds like truth? Am I believing a lie so clever it sounds like truth? If there's anything that 2020 has shown us, it's that nothing in this world is reliable. Nothing in this world is reliable. And I look at what's happening in our nation. I look at what's happening in the world. And do you know what I see? An earth groaning. Groaning for the return of Christ. A world aching and groaning. And listen, no politician can fix that. Only the kingdom of God will fix that. Only Jesus Christ Can redeem this. The earth is growing. And listen, let me just tell you something. Some things that you're fearful of right now, I know I've seen a lot of the coin shortage and things like that. Listen, some of the things that you're fearful about, to a degree, we're not gonna be able to stop. Now, in Israel, there were prophets who prophesied certain things to the nation of Israel: you're going to exile, you're going to be disciplined, you're going to exile. And the people were such nationalists that they wouldn't fall on their face and repent. They kept up with their, no, we're children of God, we're children of God, we're children of God. And they didn't want to hear what was getting ready to happen. They were going to exile. There was hope, but they were going to exile. Now listen to me. Jesus clearly predicted There's going to be worldwide famines, earthquakes, groanings, wars, rumors of wars, nation will rise up against nation. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be thrown in jail. Your head's going to be cut off, some of you. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. He predicted these things. He actually said, these things must happen. We can't stop them. And you know, Peter looked at Jesus and said, far be it from you to be crucified. You can't go to the cross. And he said, stop it. I rebuke you, Satan. You don't have God's interest. You have Satan's interest. Listen, these things must happen. Doesn't mean we don't vote. Doesn't mean we don't pray. Doesn't mean we don't ask God to delay and to give grace and mercy. But some of this is beyond our control. Do you know what's not? Our own heart. If this is coming, I want my heart ready. I want to be right with God. My heart is my only responsibility. It's my only responsibility. Number two, and I'm gonna close with this one. We have to spend time in fellowship with the body of believers, in fellowship. Can you say fellowship? Notice I didn't say we have to come to church, although I do think you should. We have to spend time in fellowship. This means we gotta get on a ship with our fellows, right? Like, this is not turning on TV and watching TV at your house. Now, we promoted online church. We promote home church. Okay? But there's a difference from having fellowship, inviting people to watch this. If you're high risk, you turn on Facetime with somebody, and y'all watch it together and talk. You engage. We have to have. Well, we have to be in the ship with some fellows. And you could be even in this sanctuary and not be in fellowship. You can come in and come out and come in and come out. Listen, that's not true church. Church is fellowship. It's iron sharpening iron and being accountable to brethren. It's iron sharpening iron fellowship with the body of believers. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says this, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Listen, we see the day drawing near. We need to be in fellowship all the more. And we can do that. I love that it says, consider how to. Because some of this we had to work through. We've had to build a studio, buy better equipment to get online church in your homes, create Zoom life groups. You know, we have families that are, that are uh, like the Tollers are having church, home church in, in Princeton. The Lundies are having it in Somersville. I know the Lilies have, have called home church. We have people that are just having one person over at their house. Listen, they're considering, how do we do this? How do we make this work? Listen, you have to make it work. We have to be in fellowship. We have to be in fellowship with one another. It says this as is the habit of some. This word in the Greek is ethos. It's the manner, the custom, the habit. It literally means to grow accustomed to. Woo. To just grow accustomed to. And you know, when we first started online church, we were extremely and still are grateful that we're in a total lockdown and we can't meet that we are able to still not have to stop being the church, right? That we can meet in our homes. And, and I, I'm so thankful for this team that enables us to do that. And so what I kind of equate that to is like manna in the wilderness. When you can't be together, but this is enough, God's going to give us manna for the day. But listen, when you come into the promised land, why would you still eat manna? So, Hear my heart. If you can go to Myrtle Beach, because everybody in Beckley goes to Myrtle, right? If you can go to Myrtle Beach, you can go to birthday parties, you can be in church. And what happens, you know, it takes 21 days to form a habit. And what happens is when I'm just pressing play, I'm just streaming for so long, it just becomes a habit. Oh, it's a pretty day. I'll watch it later. And then you never do. And then it just becomes watching and not really truly being the church. I know some of you are high risk. I know we can't offer childcare right now. There's kids in this sanctuary. And we're constantly coming up with creative ways to meet more needs. If you're high risk, if you're caring for someone that's immunocompromised, listen, I'm not saying you have to be in this place. I'm saying you have to be in fellowship in some way, even if it's FaceTime. Something but we have to be together. We have to be accountable. We need one another. But if you can be here, could I challenge you to upgrade your manna? Because isn't it something beautiful to be in church again? To feel the presence of God. In Psalm 73, it says this, I try to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. You watch the news, you're trying to understand, but listen to this, but then I went into your sanctuary. I love that. Then I went into your sanctuary. Oh God, I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord, heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young at a place near your altar, O Lord of heaven's armies, my God and my King. What joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. I went back and I looked at Brandon's notes from the first message he preached in the after New years, we talked about Vision 2020. If we're gonna revisit, I wanted to see what God had given him for the beginning of the year. And he read this out of Acts 2, chapter 46. It says, day by day, they were continuing with one mind in the temple. They were breaking bread from house to house. Can you say house to house? So you notice the temple is there and what else is there? House to house. It's funny how people want one or the other, don't they usually? But you notice they go together. There was the temple and then there was house to house. The common struggle of pastors, we can't get people in life groups. People don't want to meet in each other's homes. Listen, that's Christianity is meeting each other's homes. You look at the book of Acts, that's Christianity. It's breaking bread in one another's homes. They met in the temple and they broke bread house to house and they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so his notes, he had three things. I took out all the guts of it, but I want you to listen to how prophetic what the Lord gave him was. He said, 2020, this would be our emphasis and our vision. So I'm recasting this. One, we need to be devoted to prayer and the word of God. Two, we need to meet one another's needs. Anyone who had needs, they tried to help them. And three, listen to this. This is before corona. We have to meet in homes and not just church. That was in January. Vision God gave him in December. We've actually been casting this way before pre-corona. When we're saying God wants to grow us smaller, do you remember us casting this? We're stripping things back. We need accountability. We need to be in each other's homes. It's not that the temple is bad, but guys, we need both. I wanna show you this film as we close. I know we, we, we previewed this last year. We did a movie night. And again, I feel like this is something God's been speaking to our church long before 2020. I think he's been trying to prepare us ahead of time for the battle we didn't know we were coming into. But... We saw a film called Sheep Among Wolves, and it's about the underground church in Iran. It's the fastest growing group of Christians in the world, and yet the most heavily persecuted. And it's primarily growing just underground without training. These are prostitutes and drug lords that are getting saved, encountering, literally seeing Jesus, (laughs) literally having visions of Jesus, getting saved. And now they're laying down their lives for the cause. And I want you to listen to this woman's statement. So first thing is in Iran we know what country we're serving, we're serving the Islamic Republic of Iran. We, we know that if they get us, the first thing they will do to us as a woman is rape us and then they'll beat us and then ultimately they'll kill us. And this is the decision that we have made that we want to offer our bodies and sacrifices. Because I have this thought when I wake up, when I leave that door, I might not come back. And I've talked to my husband and we made an agreement that this is the decision of our lives. So if we leave that door and we don't come back, we accept the consequences of what happened. Guys, we're not being persecuted if we have to wear a mask to church. I'm just being honest. Far worse is coming. These things have to happen. Jesus said he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. How does that happen without fire? How does purity happen without fire? Before we stand on our rights to have certain things as an American, we have to stand like Christ did who willingly yielded his rights to love people, that love has to be the most important banner we raise. I look, when I think about vision, I look at our globe, the church as a whole, we're distracted. Distracted from our mission to seek and to save that which is lost. I can't help but think about all of the battles and wars in Israel where the enemy turned on each other. And that is how the war was won for the enemy is that they turned on one another don't you think this is what the enemy is doing to us distracted because there is an enemy but it's not flesh and blood it's principalities and rulers of darkness we are wrestling with something bigger we cannot be distracted from this mission arguing and fighting amongst ourselves while there is a world dying and going to hell while our brothers and sisters in iran are offering their bodies quite literally as living sacrifices hiding to spread the gospel of jesus not just for themselves themselves at risk but even their own daughters and children all over the globe listen to me America a time is coming and now is we have to wake up we have to be more sober minded and vigilant than ever we have a common enemy and his name is Satan we have a common commander-in-chief and his name is Yeshua HaMashiach Jesus the Christ We have a common Lord and Savior. We have a common goal to seek and to save that which is lost. We can't get distracted. This is why we have to stay in the Word. We were never called to document, debate, and discuss. We are called to disciple, period. We're called to disciple. If we're in the last days, I'm going to close with Jesus' words, red letter words, Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. Listen, everybody looks at what's going on and say, Jesus come, Jesus come, Jesus come. Listen, we're not waiting on Jesus, he's waiting on us. He's not coming till this gospel is preached to all nations. We've got work to do. If we want revival, if we want to hasten the coming of the Lord Jesus, it's gotta start right here. God, let it start in me, amen? I want you to close your eyes. Father, I just thank you for your word. And God, it cuts, but it also heals. You divide with your word through joint and marrow. You help us to see things we didn't see were there. I want you to ask the Lord right now, God, what are you speaking to me? What are you speaking to me? I want you to resist every thought to argue right now with the Holy Spirit. It's amazing the peace that comes with surrender. Father, I surrender. Search my heart. Try my heart. See if there's any anxious way in me. God, show me the hidden faults. In my heart forgive me for unintentional sin these are all scriptures things i didn't even realize were there god created me a clean heart renew a steadfast spirit in me god we want to be like you this world's got nothing to offer us we want the words of our father of our dear father God, increase their hunger for those who have lost their spiritual appetite. Lord, I pray just a renewed hunger. Lord, let their spiritual tummies begin to growl again, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, the only thing that truly fills. God, when the world's feasts have left them sick and disillusioned and suffering, I'm so thankful there's still room at the table. There's still room at your table. So as we search our hearts, come on, just stand to your feet and make your chair just a sanctuary, an altar. Just make it an altar right there. In your home, just lift your hands. Make where you're sitting an altar. Maybe some of you, you want to kneel. Just begin to ask God, search my heart, God. Restore my hunger for you. Help me to see again. We thank you Jesus for your grace and your love. In Jesus name